this, this uh, teaching series has been called Immersed. God is in me, and I'm in God. Christ in me, me in Christ, his spirit in me, and me in the spirit. We've been focusing on a few verses from the New Testament that talk about the Holy Spirit being in us, and that also talk about us being in the Holy Spirit. To refresh your memory, or if you missed those first three parts, if you have your notes with you, you can follow along. We're going to start, uh, I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of John, and then from 1 Corinthians, and then from 2 Corinthians. John 14, 16 through 17 says this. This is Jesus speaking, John writing. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him, and it wouldn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Well, Paul got to actually live out part of this. This happens years later after Jesus went to the cross, was buried, rose from the dead and went to heaven. He made good on his promise and he sent the Holy Spirit. So we can spirit to his disciples. We read about that at the end of the Gospel of Luke and into, and into the book of Acts. He sent the promised Holy Spirit he, and he came to live inside of anybody who would put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Paul writes about this. Paul experienced this firsthand for himself and he says this in 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And then furthermore, he writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old way of living, the old way of being is gone, and the new way of living is here. Now, I, I just have to preface this all by saying this. I, I know I don't preach about this much because I don't... There's a level of expertise that has to come with this topic that I'm trying to grow in, but let me just summarize by saying this. Why do I have such a sense of urgency? I know I get a little loud for some of you on Sunday morning, and really I would just say that's just a fraction of who I am. I, I, I try and, you know, I recognize sometimes it's a lot, but I mean, it just kind of bubbles up out of me, and I try and regulate that. Why is there such an urgency about when we come together when I preach? I will tell you why, because I don't, I believe we are living very much in that category of time that Jesus talks clearly about in Matthew 23 and 24, which we would call the end times. And I am not an expert in those areas. I'm not necessarily one who can, who can read piles of newspapers and extract all these different things. At the same time, I believe uh, if you would read very carefully through Matthew chapter 24, his disciples weren't experts in this either. And they asked Jesus, is there any clarity you can give us on how to know when the end times will come? Now, Jesus responds to that. And he could have said, uh, you know what? No, I'm just going to surprise you. Just be ready. But he goes a step further. He actually says, I'm going to give you some signs. He doesn't name dates. He doesn't say specific seasons of time. He doesn't inject numerology. He doesn't give us some code to unpack. He just says to all of us, there are some things to watch for. And he gets very specific. Watch for these things to happen. And he says it'll kind of, one of the analogies he gives is kind of going to be like birthing pains. They will increase in intensity and frequency the closer that it gets to the time of my return. And he says there will be celestial and you know, astronomical signs. He says there will be signs in government. There will be signs in finance. There will be signs, actually natural phenomenon, you know, earthquakes and changing in weather patterns. He's very, very, very specific. And basically what he says is if you just watch for these general categories, they'll be obvious if you know what you're looking for. If they increase in intensity and frequency, it should let you know the end is near. Now, here's the question for me where the rubber meets the road. He also says uh, there's other things you can walk, watch for. He says one of the patterns is that Christianity will no longer be popular. There will be an increase 
and persecution and, and animosity towards those who consider to, fall, to follow Christ. And one of two things will happen. If you're kind of a lukewarm Christian, if you're kind of a nominal Christian, you kind of want to just put your toe in the water, that type of heat will make you back away from it. Or it will drive you to be more militant, know your Bible, be paying attention, be prayed up and tuned into the Holy Spirit and say, God has put me on the earth for such a time as this. Here's the, whether you know a lot or a little about the end time events is not necessarily the issue to me. The issue is this, what are you doing with what you know? I don't spend a whole lot of time trying to read through the minutiae of all these things and putting the code together. I do make myself aware. You know what it makes me do? It makes me be more urgent about the life that I live for the people in my life that God has given me a relationship with who don't know Christ. It drives me not to miss opportunities. It also drives me in the way that I'm trying to raise my family and disciple my family. I have to raise my son to be a little bit more militant about his faith than maybe 20 years ago because he's going to be challenged he needs to know, not just know the information. In the Bible, when it talks about knowledge, it means knowledge backed up by experience. You don't just know God, you've experienced him. You don't just know your theology. You can say there's something, my experience reinforces what I know to be true about my God. I don't just speak of a God who's powerful. I've experienced this power for myself. I don't just know of a God who it's possible for him to heal other people. I've seen him do it in my own life. I don't just know about a God who forgives and who gives mercy. I've experienced it for me. So when I stand up here with urgency in my heart and when I, I get really animated and tense, it's because we don't have time to lose. Heaven is real, hell is real, and people are going to land in one or two places, and we don't have time to mince words here on Sunday morning. I'm very careful about not wanting to alienate people, or if people are new to church and being like, you know what, I don't want to alienate you by intentionally excluding you. At the same time, I'm not ashamed to tell you the truth about what we know to the word to teach us and invite us about knowing God and experiencing God. It's at the end of the day, your choice to do what you want to do with it, but we want to make it clear that we are very serious about the time that we live in and I want to make sure not only is your heart right with God but that we are all about being and making disciples and that happens through personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that's why it drives me because I believe we're in that period of time of course everybody for the last 2,000 years the contrarian argument is everybody's belief for the last 2,000 years are living the end times I'm just saying it is happening more, there is just obvious things happening more and more and more frequently, more and more and more intensely, and it's not for us to be afraid, it's not for us to necessarily elevate ourselves to being intellectual experts, like we have the code that you don't have, it's supposed to drive us as Christians to want to be more faithful in our witness and to make sure our hearts and lives are lined up with God. So that's where it comes from. I'm going to take a deep breath, and now we're going to dive into this message. Big idea, big idea is that the Holy Spirit is my access to God through my relationship with Jesus Christ. I can personally access God when he lives in me and I live in him. A very, no analogy is perfect. They all break down. Let me give you a very, very, very basic analogy. And this isn't perfect, but if you kind of think about God like he is the totality of the internet, the Holy Spirit's kind of like your Wi-Fi if this makes sense, okay? If God is just this seemingly infinite, God is actually infinite. The internet is not. It seems like it is. It's just, you know, the infinite internet is still finite, but it's pretty big. Just, but if you don't have a Wi-Fi connection, this drives some of you nuts. Will you stay in a vacation place or a hotel? Or you, if you are disconnected from the internet, life will grind to a halt. Some of us depend on it for our business. If you're at a place where you can't get an internet signal and you've got business that depends on you being connected electronically, you're in a world of trouble, So the internet is a great thing, but if you can't access it, it does you no good. The Holy Spirit is our connection to God Almighty. The Holy Spirit that you and I receive at salvation is that person that gives us access to God through Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, just because you have Wi-Fi doesn't mean you know everything in the internet. It's just 
access that you can or you can't use. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. That's the relationship and the connection between the Holy Spirit and God. He is our access. It's the way that you can upload and download if you want to think about that. It's that thing that's, that that's, you just need, the work for you is to make sure you're always staying connected. That you're not clicking that little button to disconnect. Because there is no data plan here. This is, this is just the thing that operates between you and God. So really, hopefully, part of the way that you mature in Christ is by practicing staying connected to God through the Holy Spirit. So some of the specific things he gives us access to. Last week I gave you two. This week I'll give you the last two. He gives us access. The Holy Spirit gives us access to the mentoring of God. God's mentoring. A good disciple is teachable. They think a, a good disciple. Because we're all about being and making disciples here at Echo. And if I want to be a good disciple, I have to be teachable. Because if you think you know everything, you don't need a teacher. You don't want a teacher. You don't want to be mentored. You just know it all already. A good disciple believes they have something to learn. And God mentors us through the Holy Spirit and through other believers who he will empower to be able to speak into your life. Some of the ways he does this is he helps us know when we're wrong. He helps encourage us when we're right. He helps us understand the Bible and make sense out of it when we read it. He helps us put together our experiences in light of what God says. There's all kinds of different things that the Holy Spirit does to teach us. And John thought so highly of this, John who wrote who wrote First John, he thinks so highly of his own personal experience that even in isolation, as he writes this letter, he's in isolation, isolation captivity in Patmos, he writes, as long as I have the Holy Spirit, I don't even need another professor or another teacher to teach me right and wrong. If I have the Holy Spirit, I've got the best possible teacher living inside of me. So one thing he gives us access to is mentoring. The second thing, he gives us access, the Holy Spirit gives us access to God's knowledge, what he knows Paul writes to us that even the secret things of God, even though we human beings don't know what it is, God's spirit knows and has access to God's thoughts. He doesn't separate the Holy Spirit from his thoughts. They are one and the same. In the same way that you and I might be able to throw everybody else off as to what we're thinking. Now, some of you aren't good at that. We know what you're thinking just by looking at your face. But but Paul makes the analogy that you have a spirit inside of you. You have a body. You have a soul. You have a spirit. Your spirit always knows what you're thinking, even if other human beings don't. He says, with that in mind, understand that if you've received God's spirit, and that spirit has access to God's thoughts, you then, through the Holy Spirit, have access to God's thoughts. And he will reveal. That's the difference between revealing and discovering. Reveal says, I know what it is, and I choose to let you know in and out at my choosing. Discover means I can just journey around and find it. Paul says God will reveal to you at times things you didn't know in God's timing to help you navigate through life and accomplish his will for your life. This is amazing. The fact that you and I have access to the knowledge of God is huge. Now again, that doesn't mean you and I are omniscient. That doesn't mean you and I get to send our top 20 questions. If you could ask God 20 things, what are they? You know, you submit the online form and he just tells you this is what you're going to look like in 30 years. This is who you're you know, what your kids are going to grow up to be, this is how much money you're going to make, this is where you're going to retire. That's not how it works. God generally decides what we know. And sometimes he'll even let you know in such a way you don't even recognize God's letting you know at the time, but later on you'll say, man, two years ago, that must have been God that showed that to me. We talked a lot about that last week. You can go back and listen to the podcast. Number three for today. Another thing you have access to is God's nature or the character of God. This is one of the things that encourages me so much because I, I, I tend to be a person that focuses on my own flaws and inadequacies and then to be reminded that if the Spirit of God lives inside of me, the Spirit of God is and has and carries the character and the personality and the attitude of Jesus Christ with him. And that the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that's planted inside of me. 
And so it's not so much like I need to learn how to be more like Christ. I need to surrender my will and let Christ bubble up in me. It's not like there's 25 steps to being like Jesus. It's a journey of gradually surrendering my life and letting more of that come up and come out of me. Here's how Paul describes this. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now, there's some translations that say, let the Holy Spirit control your lives. <laughs> For those of us that are control freaks, that's a hard verse. You, you really want God to control me? Like, so we say, you know, the New Living Translation, stop, let him guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There's a very simple answer to a very tough question. Well, pastor, even after I've been saved, how do I stop sinning? Let the Holy Spirit be in charge. The Holy Spirit will never have you sin. Every time I sin, it's because it was, it was a time I took the steering wheel back to the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Very simple. Every time that I sin, it's not an indication that I'm not a Christian. It's an indication that I took control back from another operating system that's still in there. And I need to, I need to crucify that thing and let the Holy Spirit be back in charge. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Have you ever recognized this, those of you in the room? And I realize not everybody here would call themselves a believer of a Christian. I mean, those of you who, who would call yourself a believer, you call yourself a follower of Christ. Have you ever recognized this happens that there's a tension inside of you sometimes even after you've accepted Christ between doing right and doing wrong? I, I had someone come into the grocery store this week. You know, I'm, I'm pushing my cart down the aisle and he may be here this morning. I'm not gonna name you and I don't wanna embarrass you. This is a good story. I haven't seen him in Echo in a little while and he comes in and, and I'm just in my zone, you know, trying to work through the day on my task list. Gotta get these things from the grocery store, get him home, get to this meeting, get to that meeting. And someone grabs my shopping cart and stops it. Usually that's my son because he wants candy, but that wasn't the case today. He grabs my car and shop, shop car and he says, Pastor Phil. I said, hey, man, and I, you know, we, we embrace it. He says, I haven't been to church in a little while. I've had this and that and the other thing going on physically. I've had some surgeries and so on and so forth. And, and I'm just so glad I ran into you today. I was headed out the door and I saw you here and I had to stop you. And I have to ask you a question. And I'm just like trying to recover from this, right? And I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm thinking, man, I hope, he's like holding onto the shopping cart. I'm like, I hope this isn't gonna get violent because I think he could take me. I'm not sure, but... <laughs> He says, this has been eating at me. He says, I believe that I've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ with my life. I believe that I'm a Christian and I'm trying really hard to be like Jesus. But from every now and again, I commit a sin. He said, sometimes it's anger. Sometimes I lose my temper. Sometimes I think a thought. Do you think I'm still a Christian? I said, there is a word for this. It's called normal. I said, the message of the Bible is do not sin. But if you do, repent for it, get back up, and get back in line. I said, the Apostle Paul wrestled through this himself because there is this idea that how the closer you walk to Jesus, at some point you're going to recognize how sinful you really, really are that you might not have even recognized at first. And you're like, man, even after I'm saved, I'm still struggling with all these things. How could I possibly be saved if there's still all this garbage inside of me that I'm trying to tunnel through? Most of what Paul writes about has to do with his own journey through this very same question. And he, I said, you're absolutely still safe. I said, brother, what do you do when you, I said, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you recognize your sin? He's like, well, I asked Jesus to forgive me. I said, friend, please sleep easy at night. Please let go of my shopping cart. No, I'm just kidding. I said, <laughs> I said, I said I'm just kidding. I said, please sleep easy at night. Please sleep easy at night. Now, this goes back to point two. Did God have an assignment for me at that grocery store that day at that particular time? Yes. 
God knew something I didn't know. And I wasn't tuned into it right away, but once he started talking, I got onto his station. And we had a conversation. And I think that guy slept easily that night. And, you know, once I recovered from interrupting my routine, I was okay, you know. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about our effort. It's about his character and his nature growing inside of us. Here's what Paul says. It is our nature to sin. It's what comes most naturally to us. Listen, nobody, we don't need to do a special small group here at Echo and here's the 10 ways you can start sinning better. It just comes naturally. You know, sin, and the Bible gives us a couple definitions you have to look at holistically. Sometimes, and I think the way most of us think about it is, sin is intentionally, consciously disobeying God's law. It's out and out and out rebellion. It's a person who says, I know what the rule is and forget the rule, I'm doing my own thing. And And that is absolutely, every time that that happens, that is sin, But that's not the only way that sin happens. Sin is not always some intentional, conscious, out and out and out rebellion saying, I know God's law, I've thought about it, and you know what, I'm going to do opposite. Dad, I know what the rules are, I know you say I can't throw a fit, but right now I'm throwing a fit anyway, what are you going to do about it? That is a definition of sin, and I think some of us think all sin occurs that way, and it's not. The Bible talks about other things. Sometimes sin is not doing what we're supposed to do. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Another definition that the Bible defines sin is living as if there were no God. Sin is saying there is no absolute morality. There is no absolute definition for things. I'm going to live life as if there were no God. I'm going to make decisions without consulting God as it seems best to me. And like Pastor Stewart taught about several weeks ago, that's practical atheism. That's saying I believe in a God to get, to me, to get me to heaven and to make me sleep better at night, but I don't believe in a God that has authority over my life to tell me how to live. That's saying I want a God, but I'm not going to follow him, and that is sin. Then there's a final definition we get from the Old Testament in Proverbs. Sin is saying this, I'm going to live and define right and wrong by what feels right and wrong to me. What feels pleasurable must be right. What feels unpleasurable must be wrong. And I will define my own moral system. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to people, to man. But in the end, it ends in destruction. Paul says we come naturally out of the womb. And we lived it. Look, no one had to teach my son as a baby how to be selfish. It just came out naturally. He thought that what he wanted all the time was most important. I didn't have to teach him to do that. He just figured that out. He wanted to eat when he wanted to eat. He wanted to sleep when he wanted to sleep. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. That's just how he naturally came out. We all came out that way. That's troubling because that doesn't naturally change. Paul writes in this passage that we just read is that it's our nature, natural for us to do just the opposite of what God wants. A Christian has a new nature living inside of him that's foreign to and opposite of the nature he was born with. Part of being a disciple, Paul says we have to crucify the sinful nature. Crucify means to nail down, to put to death, to suffocate our old natural way of thinking, feeling, and doing. And it's about allowing the Spirit to guide our lives with his new way of thinking, feeling, and doing. And all through the New Testament, especially in Romans, especially Romans chapter 7, Paul is very raw and very honest and very transparent with us, uncomfortably so, about his journey, and it was unsuccessful at times, at trying to reconcile his life as a Christian with all the sin he still felt in his heart. And he came, he challenged his own salvation. He actually came to the point where he said, how can I possibly be a Christian and at the same time have all these sinful impulses and urges and desires inside of me? He says, I recognize I should want to do it God's way, 
but I don't really want to do that some days. And some days I'm wanting to do the things I know I shouldn't want to do. And he questioned his own salvation. One of the most powerful men for God that ever walked the face of the earth wondered how in the world you can be a Christian and still recognize this sinful stuff inside of you. And then he came with a solution. The conclusion he comes to is that if he is ever going to demonstrate the character of God in his life, God would have to transform him. There was no other way. He was incapable of being like Jesus Christ without transformation. And then in Galatians, the Holy Spirit gives him an incredible revelation to share with us. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you have received God's very character and you have received his very nature. Paul calls it the evidence of God or the proof of salvation. Or perhaps you know it more familiar uh, terms as the fruit, the evidence of the Spirit. It's a single, I wish I could unpack this part for you. It's a single fruit with nine characteristics. Like if I said, if I described an orange to you, I could say it is orange, it has a rind, it has seeds, it's sweet, it grows. I could give you nine characteristics that would define an orange. I think some people take the passage I'm about to read you in Galatians and say, well, there's nine different fruits, plural, of the Spirit, and I just need to grow in this one. That's not how it works. The fruit of the Spirit is all those characteristics. You have them all in seed form, and they all are to be developed in our life. That's why it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. So here's what Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces. That's important. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. You don't have to produce it, just bear it. You don't have to produce this because there is a love you can produce. I'm not one that says that you can be a, that you have to be a, that love is exclusive to Christians. There's people who aren't Christians and aren't believers that have experienced love. They've experienced what it's like to be patient and sometimes more so than most Christians that we know. I'm not one that believes you have to be exclusively a Christian to experience these things. What's different about it is that God says there is a love that belongs to him that is different from the love I produce naturally. God's love is a little bit different than my love. God's love never fails. It doesn't play favorites. It's not jealous. It's willing to accept ownership for responsibility. God's love is different than Phil's love. And there are people in my life that I need God's love if I'm going to love them because I just can't do it. Because they are just not lovable, huggable, or likable. But I'm commanded to love them. And if it's going to happen, God doesn't say use the love of Phil. He says use the love of God. You want peace? You want your own peace? Or you want the peace of God? God's not stressing over your crisis. He has peace over it because he's seen how it works out and he's okay with it. Wouldn't you like to borrow his peace and use it as if it were your very own? Guess what? It's in you if you know him. You just got to let it bubble up and get out. But the, fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Number four. My favorite one. Now, that's not fair. They're all good. But I mean, the, the, the biggest jump I've seen in my life in the last few years, if you have the spirit of living inside of you, you have access to God's power. You have access to God's power. Dunamis, the same word we get from dynamite. You have access to God's power. Here's what Paul says. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Here's what Paul is saying in this verse about our God. I get excited about this. First of all, he's saying that our God that we serve is able to do. He's able to accomplish. Do you understand we don't pray to a God that is inactive? We pray to a God that is active, who can do stuff. I challenge you, go pray to some idol somewhere. Go pray to any of the other gods that people serve. Go pray to any of the other prophets or anything else. They're not active anymore. God is able to do things. 
I have gone through drive through windows before and asked people to do something for me that they cannot do. I went through Wendy's several years ago. I had seen a commercial for the five-piece spicy crispy chicken nuggets at 10.55 at night, got up out of bed, drove to the drive through window, ordered my five-piece crispy chicken nuggets and said, sir, I'm sorry, we're out of them. There's nothing we can do for you. And I demanded to speak to Wendy right then. There. You get Wendy on the thing. You tell her right now. But they had the final word because at the end of the day, there were no more spicy. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't make chicken nuggets appear out of nowhere. I want to tell you, there will never be a time that you go to God. And you know what? And God will say to you, I'm sorry. Nothing I can do about that. We have a God who is able to do. So I'm telling you, if you're here this morning and you have given up hope and you've resigned yourself, I'm just going to have to live with this. There's nothing God can do about it. Friend, I'm here to challenge that this morning. Our God is able to do. Can you muster a grain of faith this morning to reapproach him and come to him today and say, God, I need you to do. But what can he do? Paul tells us he can do everything. Now, there are some good people around here. I've watched Chris Corelli play about 19 instruments up here. But I promise there's probably some instrument. Can you play the bass clarinet? No, okay. So there's one instrument he can't play. I know there's some of you that are just great contractors and you build things, you know, Michael and Lou and, and, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of you here that Mike de Blasi and there's others that, that just build things and Wayne and you can do 19, 20 different things. There's people that can do a few things. That's me. There's people that can do more things and then there's only one that can do everything. How, but the, Paul uses tricky language here. He says, he can do immeasurably more than anything you could ask or think. Here's what Paul's saying. It's logically, it's intrinsically impossible in my own mind, but that describes God, kind of. He says, everything is the most that anybody could do. He says, God can do immeasurably more than everything. Which makes really no sense. What he's saying is God isn't limited by everything because everything would, everything would be anything that you could imagine or ask. In other words, you can, imaginations are powerful things, but Paul is saying, if you can imagine it, God can do it. But even if your mind can't fit it in there, he can still do it. Some of you have stopped imagining. You say, Pastor, I can't even imagine a day where I'd be happy again. I cannot imagine a day where I would trust love again. I cannot imagine a day where I would forgive my parents for this. I can't imagine a day where I'd forgive my ex for this. I can't imagine a day where I'd be financially free. I can't imagine a day. Friend, just because you can't imagine it doesn't mean God can't do it. He can do immeasurably more than anything you could ask or imagine. That's the God we serve. And my question to you is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? How does he do it? According to his power. And where is his power according to this verse? Did you read it? Where is it? Is it up there somewhere? Do we need a big God to send a zap from it? Where is God's power? It's already at work within you. If it's in you, then why can't we trust God to get it up out of me into the life that I live? I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. We've got 20 minutes. I know that the lighting here, I just need, I need to be down here. Listen. I want you to experience this for yourself as everybody gets nervous. I want you to not just listen to these sermons on Sunday morning. I want to give you an opportunity to activate what you're hearing and taste and see how good God really is. I recognize that in this room, when we talk about coming forward to worship or lifting our hands or allowing somebody to pray with you, it throws up all kinds of red flags and nervousness. 
I understand that, and that's okay. This is a safe place. I, we are not going to go in the direction of forcing you to do anything you don't choose to do. At the same time, we're not going to go in the direction of saying we're so scared of possibly making someone nervous that we won't go after God in that direction at all. This area up here is just a piece of floor, really. But in a lot of churches, not all churches, they call this geographical part of the church the altar or the altar area. The church I grew up in actually had furniture. They were like these, these wooden rails with things you could kneel on, and we don't have those here. They wouldn't fit in the trailer. But, you know, it's... I will tell you, this particular space of the church has always just been special for me in my life. And... I want us to allow this to be a special place for us at Echo as well. I want us to, to begin kind of changing our culture where we at times allow this space to be a place where we come and we pray. We come and we ask God for help. We come and we worship God and we love God. I believe there are some of you here today that are going through physical things in your body that God wants to heal. You're living with chronic pain. God wants to deliver you just like that. In fact, right now, one of you The Bible says sometimes the Holy Spirit downloads to us information that we're not making up that he reveals to us so that God can get the attention. I believe one of you had really terrible pain running from your hip to your ankle. It's been bothering you all morning. I don't know who you are. No one told me this. If that's you, what I want you to do right now, what I believe God's asking you to do is to take your hand and put it where the pain is most. And I want to pray right now, Holy Spirit, I believe that you let us know of a need that's going on here because there's somebody here that's just in so much discomfort. You want to heal it right now. So we're just aligning ourselves with you. God, you do the healing. You do the work. I pray you minister just healing right now. So that this person can resume all of the activities this week that you've called them to do. They were worried they can't do. It's an attack of the enemy on this person's life to get them out of the space they need to be this week to accomplish your will. So we just ask you to heal. We know you can. And you can do it with or without any of the theatrics we add on top of it. Just very quietly right now in that place. It would encourage me greatly if after this morning's service, if that was you and you're feeling God speaking to you, would you just come to me privately and let me know, Pastor, that was me? You know, because I'm still growing in this thing too and in these moments sometimes I get nervous. God, is this you or this not you? That just helps me grow in my faith and recognize God's voice better. Sometimes you miss it, (laughs) but I would rather take the risk of giving God an opportunity to do what he wants to do. I also believe that some of you are here this morning and there's deep areas of bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. One of the things he spoke to me about earlier this morning when I was getting for church today, many of you have really been hurt by church, really hurt by church, organized religion, pastors, leaders, other Christians, and it makes, it's kind of stunted your spiritual walk. There's a place where you don't feel like you can open up and worship. You can't serve in ministry to the degree that you'd like to. Your trust has been broken. You've been wounded. God wants you to know that he sees that and he grieves with you and over you, but that he wants to heal you from that because he doesn't want that to derail the overall vision and purpose for your life. He doesn't want you to be stuck harboring things in your own heart that are holding you back from being able to be and do everything that brings fulfillment into your life. And today, he's just inviting you to acknowledge that to him and surrender that to him and just invite him to cover that over and to heal you from that so that you can be fully optimized and live the life that you want to live. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to invite our elders. I want to invite our, our prayer team members. Would you come and join me up front? In just a moment where the worship team is going to lead us in singing. And I want to just tell you right now, in a moment, I'm going to invite anybody and everybody who would like us to pray with you about anything. I'm going to invite you to come down from your seat and we're going to anoint you with oil like the book of James says. And we're going to pray a prayer of faith with you. 
I want to turn up the spiritual temperature in our church services. I don't want people just to hear theologically about God. I want you to experience him. You may do it at your own pace, because I realize for some of you came from a church where even playing with instruments and like we're way pushing past that. Friend, it's okay. I don't mean to make you unnecessarily uncomfortable. It's fine to just observe. It's fine to just, I'm just trying to get the recipe simple enough that you might just take a small taste of God's presence and his power because I knew it will stir in you an appetite. And I want to speak to some of you who you would say, Pastor, I've been wanting something like this in church. It's been years since I, friend, God wants to blow oxygen back onto the coal of the fire that used to burn so brightly in your life this morning, but you have to cooperate with him. He's not going to override your will. He's just inviting you. He's just inviting you back. And so here's what we're going to do. If you're willing and able, can I just invite you to stand with me? We're going to sing some more worship songs together this morning. Can I just encourage you, if you really believe in the God we talked about this morning, will you just take a step today will you take one next step for you it might say for you it might be just singing trying to sing along with the songs this morning for you it might be you know what i'm going to just close my eyes and and just lift my hands and i'm just going to try and reach out to god and just make myself available to have a personal experience with him today for others of you it might mean you know what i'm going to get out of my seat and i want to just come find a place in the altar area to worship i just want to i just want to press into god today i want to leave boring normal christianity i want something fresh and new and i don't have an agenda i just want to present myself as available to god to charge me up and to empower me to do his work many more of you may have something specific we can pray with you about friend there's no rules or expectations if if you're uncomfortable with all of this It is a safe place for you to just observe and just kind of check it all out and feel like if this is the thing. But I want to tell you, you know, there's some of us, and I'm this person, I like to dip my toe in the shallow end and gradually get used to the water. Other people like to cannonball in the deep end. That's not me. That's my son. (laughs) Taste and see how good God is. You cannot crave that which you've never tasted. This morning, we're here. Your leadership team is here to pray with you. But I just want to press in. And I want to invite God to be the author of this time together this morning when we come together as a church. I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, the worship team is going to lead. And I'll just invite you to come and fill these altars. And let's go after God these last few minutes of this service this morning. Heavenly Father, you're already here. Come to heal. Come to change. Those who have no hope, will you just give them a flicker of hope this morning that there is a more optimistic day than today? For those who say, I'm not walking as close with you as I once was. They're moving in the other direction. I pray that this morning they would stop that trajectory and take a step back to you that they would reverse course this morning and you would rush to meet them right where they are just like the prodigal son. You're watching for them to make that one turn to home and you're going to rush and meet them right there. For those who have been so hurt and so wounded and they carry those scars this morning, God, would you begin to just minister healing as they surrender to you? We open up the pipeline of heaven to do what only you can do this morning. Be glorified in this place today. Wrap your arms of love and safety around this place this morning as we open our hearts in prayer and worship. In your mighty name we pray.